0: This is Money Guide with Mary Stirk from Sterk Financial Services. Now, here's Mary Stirk.
1: Welcome to Money Guide with Mary Stirk, And today we are talking about the coronavirus outbreak and the markets. And we want to talk a little bit about understanding some of these things, understanding the coronavirus impact in relation to overall population and other diseases, and then some thoughts about what to be thinking about when it comes to your investments in relation to this coronavirus outbreak. And with me today, I have certified financial planner, Kelsey banking And Kelsey's actually done a fair amount of research on some of the statistics behind this. So welcome, Kelsey. Thank you, Mary. So first of all, This coronavirus, obviously for most people listening, you're aware that it originated in Wuhan, China, and it's sickened a lot of people. Um, In fact, as of the date that we're recording this, um, there was actually about 81,000 cases worldwide, and there has been 2,768 deaths worldwide. Now, that number changes on a daily basis, so by the time you're listening to this, I don't know what those numbers will be. However, those numbers are, are what we know of today. And when people are thinking about this virus, I think that it's the, the, the biggest thing that's happening out in the marketplace right now related to the coronavirus is simply fear. What would you say, Kelsey?
2: I would say fear, absolutely. Uh, it's, a, it's a scary thing because it's unknown. Like there's so much mm-hmm. unknown about it. Um, but when I find comfort in looking at statistics, so we're going to come at you with a lot of statistics today. Um, but hopefully, you know, this, this will kind of phase out just like a lot of other major, uh, pandemics and and epidemics have. Um, and we've seen a lot of them over even just my short lifetime. (laughs) Uh, I mean, we're, we're not even going back to like black years uh, we're looking at you know things that have happened in the last 30-ish years um, and it's, it's just really interesting when you start looking at the t- statistics because you have to always take what's happening on the news what's being said on the news with a grain of salt because fear and is what that se- is what goes into the headlines because that's what sells but When you can dig into the data a little bit more, um, I find some comfort in it. So let's talk about it. Yeah. Um, First of all, I think we should start with just in general population sizes. Um, So, Wuhan, China, I had never even heard of this city until this all (laughs) happened. But this is a pretty big city. They have a population of 11.9 million people. When we say China has a large population, like this starts putting it into context. Uh, they have 1.38 billion people in China. In this particular city, just shy of 12 million people live there. Now,
1: um, let's let me just interrupt you for a second here, Kelsey, yeah. because let's put that in context with the U.S. China has 1.38 billion people. The U.S. has about 327 million people. So, exactly. China has many, 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 many more people than the United States has.
2: Yeah, and Wuhan is is actually just just a tad, just a tad smaller than the Los Angeles metro area. So it's we're talking a pretty big city, Mm -hmm. um, not some small little village where every single person has died of coronavirus. (laughs) Um, So just, you know, and I'm not discounting those deaths. It's always sad when people die of sickness, but just to put, again, put that into context of how many people are in this population and that type of a population disease can spread more quickly. So um, now I think we should also put this in context of other illnesses. So the flu is the most common virus, probably uh, in one of the most common in the United States. At least everybody's aware that we have flu seasons. Mary, I think you said you pulled some data on that.
1: I have. So according to the Center for Disease Control, they they look at things in what's called flu season and flu season isn't a calendar year. It's um, generally from like September to March is the flu season. So the last flu season that we went through was the 2018-2019 flu season. So that would have been September 2018 to, like, March-ish, or 2019. And in that flu season, according to the CDC, about 42.9 million Americans had the flu. So 42.9 million out of 327 million Americans had the flu. We had a lot of flu. (laughs) A (laughs) lot of flu. Now, of that number... 61,200 people actually died of the flu. So the actual flu, this includes influenza and then pneumonia that's coming out of this influenza, 61,000 deaths in the United States from what's credited to the flu, according to the CDC. So obviously, while there's concern about the coronavirus numbers, if we know that just in America, 61,000 people died last year from the flu versus a total death from the coronavirus so far of 2,700 across the world, that's, a, that's that should put that into context for you. Now, I think that the big issue here, though, is that the coronavirus doesn't have a vaccination yet, and it doesn't have a cure. If you look at the flu, it does have vaccination we can get a flu shot but the reality is a whole heck of a lot of people just don't go get one because they don't want one now some people get them and some people don't but it's available however millions and millions and millions of people get the flu even with the vaccination and millions and millions of people get the flu without the vaccination some people die which is very sad and unfortunate but many many more people live and for the flu, there's not a lot of treatment. There, It's more of a, you just have to get through it. Now, for some of the pneumonia-type things, there are treatments. I'm not discounting that. And I and, and think the big unknown is we don't really know how to treat the coronavirus. But even if you look at these statistics, out of the 81,000 cases that there are, there's a whole bunch of people who have survived through it and gotten better and are fine now. So... The coronavirus does not necessarily kill you if you get it. It kills people just like any other disease kills some of the people that you get. So this is a show about finance and this is a show about money. And so let's talk a little bit about how understanding these things that we've just talked about. Why is this impacting the market the way that it is? So Kelsey, why would you say we're seeing so much market fluctuation as a result of coronavirus scare?
2: Well, there's probably three things that are contributing to this. Um, one is the way in which we get our news. So in past, um, you know, pretty severe epidemics, the spread of news was not through social media typically. So we get our we get our our news literally with our thumb on our phones a lot of us or on the news which is 24 hours a day on on tv or radio so the but the social media driven news cycle has kind of built up this fear um and this this story um of this virus And, and we're still early in into the process but that's part of it um the second thing and and this is probably where more play is gonna is gonna fall in the in the end of this is the interconnectedness of the global supply chains. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a certain industries that will suffer because of of this more than others. Um, but then the fact that so many co- companies across our country and multiple countries have production tied to China, whether it be that they have a factory there or they're getting just a piece of their, their product from there. Um, we're, there's, there's lots of things that are going on and, and what's going on is because they're trying to combat the spread of the disease in China, things are coming to a halt over there. Um, people are, are basically living in isolation, trying to protect themselves from this virus and that can have an impact. Now, how much of an impact we'll, we'll see down the road, but that supply chain interruption um, is is a component that people should pay attention to. Now, whether that's going to cause a major market crash, you know, time will tell. But historically, when we look at um, epidemics, that's not what we've seen happen. Right. So, so this, this
1: impact in the market caused by the coronavirus is um, what a lot of people would refer to as a black swan. And a black swan is an unpredictable or an unforeseen event, typically one with some kind of extreme consequence. So this being a black swan is because, number one, nobody could have predicted that a coronavirus was going to come out of nowhere. So it's unforeseen. It's unpredictable in terms of we don't really know what the outcome of this is going to be. And it could have some extreme consequences. I would certainly consider the quarantines that have happened in China to be extreme circumstances, right, I mean, there's no doubt about that. That's unprecedented, it hasn't happened before. So I think that this really does meet our definition of what's called a black swan in the market. And when you look at the um, black swans in the market, you have to bring in a concept that's called risk velocity. And risk velocity is the pace at which major risks and black swan events can affect asset prices okay so it is elevated in our market today compared to even where we were ten years ago because of the things that Kelsey just said we have the social media driven news cycles we have this higher level of interconnectedness of these global supply chains things are connected to things everywhere in the world and we have a high stock market, I mean prior to this happening we were hitting stock market highs daily and or almost every day I should say. And so those three things really create an environment where the risk velocity is higher and risk velocity again the pace at the of which the markets are going to respond to this is just going to accentuate everything. So that means that if markets are going to dive down because of this they're probably going to dive down faster than they normally would have that's risk velocity it's gonna happen faster and we've seen this as of the date that we're actually talking about this we've seen major impact in the markets and a lot of volatility in the markets that's being blamed on this
0: Congratulations to Mary Stirk for being named the 2020 Forbes Best in State Wealth Advisors List for the third year running.
1: Welcome back to Money Guide with Mary Stirk, And today we're talking about the coronavirus and its impact on the markets. And we've talked a little bit about what the coronavirus is, the history of it, and why it's considered a black swan event in the market. Now I want to talk a little bit about um, historically what has happened in the markets when we've had other pandemics or epidemics and what's happened in our markets and in growth rates of countries like that. So, Kelsey, I know you have a statistic you wanted to share about this.
2: Yeah, so the there's lots of different you know epidemics that have been tracked over time. And when you look at the six month change, percent change versus the 12 month percent change, Um, Just on like the S and P, let's say, and this is all data according to the Dow Jones. It's really interesting um, to look at that because even though you might see, you know, that immediate drop, um, historically, these epidemics aren't having long-term impact in the markets. Right. Um, And and that's just again, it's it's interesting. Now, who knows? This is a different different disease, different time. Historical performance, of course, is no guarantee um, uh, of future performance, but it's what we have to look at. So we, that's why we look at it. So um, the, the SARS epidemic, that was back in April 2003. And- Which also originated in China. Originated in China. So this one's getting a lot of attention again, because there, there are some likenesses between the two situations. Um, but six months out from the SARS epidemic, The six-month percent change of the S&P was 11.66%. The 12-month percent change of the S&P was 18.36%. So really, 12 months um, into that epidemic, the the markets were not negatively impacted by that. Um, Now, there's a little bit of concern and, and a little bit of talk about, well, look where China's come since 2003, how far they've come in the world. And and what they're talking about is back in 2003, the percent of global GDP, um, so the the amount of the market share basically that uh, that China represented was about 8.7%. Fast forward now to 2019, 2020, Um, And they have 19.3% of the GDP. So their share of the global economy is going up and going up at a a pretty rapid pace. So the concern there is if millions and billions of people are now living in isolation or quarantine, trying to either either by requirement or self-imposed, trying to protect themselves from this virus, uh, they're not out spending. They're right. not out buying things. They're not out consuming things. Now put the, to put that in perspective, things kind of slow down a little bit here in the U.S. during flu season. People do a little bit less, trying not to to contaminate themselves. But we're talking a huge level of quarantine in China, and then billion people doing this. So there's certain, like I said before, certain industries, certain types of goods and things like that, that are projecting, um, that their numbers for 2020 are not going to be where they had originally thought they would be because this anticipated reduction in spending and consumption was not, um, in, in their projection and their numbers.
1: Now, the other important thing to look at historically is like that um, Charles Schwab came out with a study, too, looking at the MSCI World Index, and they took a whole bunch of these past pandemics or epidemics. So things like even HIV and AIDS, looking at the SARS, the avian flu, swine flu, cholera, Ebola outbreaks, the Zika virus that was more recent, measles outbreaks and things like that. And essentially, to kind of put it in perspective, In most of those situations, the market was down uh, in the month after the pandemic came to light. However, several of them had reached positive markets by three months after, and by six months, probably 85% of them had positive markets within six months of the initial outbreak and so that's what i want to stress is putting this into perspective that even though this is new even though it's unpredictable even though we don't know what the outcome of the coronavirus is going to be and even if it spreads and becomes something that that affects more of the world there's more deaths with it even if that happens this is not the first time that there has been a world health scare And this is not the first time that it's affected markets so when black swan events occur it creates fear it creates an emotional reaction to what to do with your investments because people become to be afraid they are gonna lose everything and what I want you to hear me saying is that emotional responses in your investment portfolio is the number one return killer over time so When you have an emotional response to something, especially like a black swan event, the best thing you can do is try to control your emotions and not make an emotional response to change in your portfolio. So emotional responses are probably going to tell you to sell because the market has just dropped. And the reality is that smart and savvy investors are likely to be looking at this as a buying opportunity because when do you wanna buy? You wanna buy low and sell high. You don't wanna sell low. You don't wanna sell after we've already seen a significant market drop. So most of the time, if you have an emotional reaction and it's driving you to make an an investment decision, you probably should do
2: exactly the opposite of what your emotions are telling you. It's, it's so true, though, because uh, people get nervous and they want to just protect and pull things close. I mean, you do this mm-hmm. with your children, um, you do this with your money, but you need to resist that instinct when it comes to your investments because you're doing nothing but locking in the loss. Right. Because what, what could happen is we could see a bounce down for several days, weeks, or months, but historically, when this kind of thing has happened, the market has bounced back out of it in a relatively short amount of time. So if that plays true again this time, writing it out for a short amount of time and it's like you didn't have a loss um, at all because you didn't sell anything when it was lost. Right. Um, but this, this also puts a focus right back on having a good plan, having a good income plan. So if you do need to take money out, and you do need to live off of some of the money in your investments, it should have already been protected because we can't predict a black swan event any better than the next person can. Um, So if you aren't doing something like the bucket plan with your investments where you've got a piece of it protected uh, from events like this, then that's definitely something you need to be talking to us about because it will put a lot of ease um, into most people Um, When they're looking at these events knowing that that money has um, some Downward focus um, And and not necessarily protection but downward focus um, And trying to contain that
1: yeah, so here's the thing is that if you're feeling the pressure or concern about the markets reach out and talk to Your advisor, but it's probably not your best idea to start shifting around the composition of your portfolio because of a black swan event If your portfolio has been asset allocated, if you have good diversification, and if you were comfortable with the risk levels in your portfolio before, this probably shouldn't change that. Now, if you have to take money out of somewhere right now and you hadn't done those things, so let's say you've had something unexpected come up and you need to take money out of your portfolio and the market's down, what can you do? Well, you can look at the different assets inside of there and maybe cherry pick what you wanna take out so for instance maybe your bonds or your fixed income portfolio haven't really lost much but it's the equities that have so maybe when you're taking money out for this particular expense you look at selling off some of that fixed income which you haven't had a loss in and letting those equities that have had a loss have a chance to recover before you start pulling out from them now if you do that It is going to tilt your portfolio to overall maybe make it a little bit more risky because now you have a higher percentage of equities in your portfolio. And then when markets recover, you're going to want to make sure you do some rebalancing to get yourself back into the correct levels of market exposure for your risk tolerance that you're comfortable with. There's different ways to manage things depending on if you need income or if you're just going to let that portfolio continue to stay invested. But what I really, really want you to hear me saying is that black swan events don't drive portfolio decisions. Now, there will be the naysayers out there that say, well, Mary, we've already had companies come out and say that they're probably going to miss their earnings next time because their sales in China are going to be so far down. And you know what? That is true. That is definitely true. But that is, again, a short-term thing, and investment portfolios are long-term plays in the market, and that's the main thing that you have to keep in mind. So... We hope that this has given you a little bit of comfort in understanding how the coronavirus and the markets are interacting, and also giving you some good tips and strategies to think about when it comes to managing your own portfolio during this Black Swan event. And if you have any questions or if you want to talk to someone about looking at whether or not your portfolio is set up in a way to withstand events like this, then please reach out and talk to one of our advisors and we'd be happy to help you make sure that your portfolio is allocated in the way that ha- can withstand the best test of time. So if uh, that's going to get cut out by compliance, <laughs> let me say that again. Uh, We hope these strategies have given you some ability to see how to manage your portfolio during times of uncertainty and how to avoid making some emotional mistakes when it comes to portfolio changes during a black swan event. If you have any questions or you want to make sure that your portfolio is effectively allocated, then please reach out and talk to one of our advisors and we'd be happy to do some analysis to see how you're set up in order to potentially be able to withstand an event in the best way possible. So thanks for listening to Money Guide with Mary Stirk.
0: The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of your audio provider and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can ensure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should only be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC. Insurance offered through STERC Financial Services, which is not affiliated with Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated. Neither Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated nor its representatives provide tax or legal advice. You should consult a qualified attorney or tax professional to answer your specific questions. Sturt Financial Services is located at 350 Oak Tree Lane, Suite 150, Dakota Dune, South Dakota, 57049, and can be reached at 605-217-3555. Forbes Best in State Wealth Advisors list includes 10 recipients per state. The award is based on qualitative and quantitative data, rating thousands of wealth advisors with a minimum of seven years of experience and weighing factors like revenue trends, assets under management, compliance records, industry experience, and best practices. The award is not based on portfolio performance or client reviews. There is no fee in exchange for rankings. Third-party rankings and recognitions are no guarantee of future investment success and do not ensure that a client or prospective client will experience a higher level of performance or results. These ratings should not be construed as an endorsement of the advisor by any client, nor are they representative of any one client's evaluation.